Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm Ed Clementi. Today, uh, we have a special guest, Katie Locker. Appreciate you being here, Katie. Um, I know you're the CEO for, I, I know there's a couple names in here, but I know Bridge Michigan, but also uh, also the Center for Michigan and then Bridge Detroit too, right? I, yep. Yeah. So how do I, why don't you do a better job than me and sort of explain each one of those maybe separately that might help us get a better idea? Sure. I'm happy to. Uh, I am the CEO of the Center for Michigan. The Center for Michigan is a nonprofit that was formed uh, 16, 17 years ago. Um, and it really, it, 2011, I think. I don't, I'm going to get it wrong. Um, All right. Uh, and um, it, it was formed by Phil Power. Uh, and he was really concerned about divisiveness in politics. It's kind of funny to think about it. Uh, and all years ago that it was that was his big concern. And um, uh, and so he said, let's create sort of a think tank. He called it a think and do tank to work on this. And he and that nonprofit started publishing a newsletter um, and that newsletter employed journalists because Phil Powers background is that he owned uh, a group of local newspapers that served Michigan and he hired as the first CEO, John Bebo, who was a journalist, is a journalist. Um, and so they started publishing a newsletter. The newsletter, what was then called Bridge Magazine and is now today called Bridge Michigan, really became the tool that we think is the most powerful thing we do to connect Michiganders uh, with information about what's happening in our community and making Michigan better. So Bridge Michigan is now uh, our really signature product of the Center for Michigan, um, and it is a nonprofit news organization. Uh, we could talk a lot more about what it is, um, and it's been around for this fall, 12 years. In addition, we learned a lot from building out Bridge Michigan, and three years ago, we helped Bridge Detroit to launch. It's editorially independent of uh, Bridge Michigan, uh, but it's the same idea. How do we provide quality information for Detroiters by Detroiters, just as we're providing quality information for Michiganders by Michiganders? Yeah. And, and I, I did know Phil when he ran the Observer and Eccentric back in Livonia way back in the day, because yeah. I used to be a head of a chamber of commerce downriver. And we used to do a lot of interaction with them just because of media. We'd be they'd be announcing a lot of our stuff, even though, you know, it covered a big, broad area. And you're right. He had like I think he had like 10 newspapers or something. Oh, I think it was even more than that. Yeah, was it? it was yeah. a lot in the end. Yeah. Well, I remember when he created the Center for Michigan. So before the Bridge Magazine part was created, he came in and testified, I think, with John when he just hired John you know, to come in. And so they were in a couple of the committees. But, you know, it's funny. You, you talk about the polarization then. You know, I, I just listened to a podcast about talking about the founding fathers. And it was mainly about Hamilton and Burr. And it was the same complaints even then. Yeah. <laughs> there was polarization. So uh, I think it's part of America in a way. Um, 
But I think what you guys do is pretty critical, especially because of the concept. And maybe you could even touch a little bit about how the medium has changed maybe of media too. And I should also, I'll get into your background, but you even haven't been, you've been there how long now? Not too long, right? I have been working with Center for Michigan as an employee for about three years. I've only been CEO for about six months. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, let's, um, I'm going to, I want to, I'm going to get more to your background, but let me suggest that you explain the medium because basically you're just online right now, or is yep, it that's other right. mediums? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bridge Michigan is one of the largest nonprofit civic news publications in the country. So as measured uh-huh. by audience and membership, um, but it is, it's all online. Um, over 120,000 people subscribe to our newsletters. Uh, wow. so, so you can subscribe at bridgemichigan.com um, and you get a daily newsletter with a summary of the news that'll take you to our stories. You know, uh, the uh, big traditional newspapers do something similar now too. You can sign up to get that daily daily newsletter. Ours is totally free. Because we're a nonprofit, it's totally free. There's no firewall. Uh, the biggest thing you have to put up with is we are a nonprofit. And part of how we how we uh, exist is that we ask folks who value us to make donations. And we take donations from $5 to $500 to more than that. But um, a portion of how we run is through uh, folks who read us and donate. But we make sure, because our mission is to serve Michiganders, that we're available. So over 600,000 people in an average month will come and read our content. Uh, we employ editors and journalists that most of them have been at traditional newspapers at some point in their life. I think we all know, I think folks uh, who would listen to this would know, uh, the journalism industry has shrunk dramatically in the last few decades. It is less than half the size in terms of number of journalists working than it was at the turn of the century. Um, and there is no sign of that slowing. So we are very proud employers of journalists uh, who cover business, education, environment, health, and politics, the key civic uh, information for Michigan. And we are doing that every single day. Our reporters are producing five, six stories a day uh, for Michiganders to learn more. Um, and uh, we something similar is happening, obviously, at a smaller scale in, our, in a partner newsroom at Bridge Detroit, also fully online, also free to anyone who wants to read it at BridgeDetroit.com. Um, and we find people through the newsletter, but also uh, people find us because they're Googling important topics in Michigan. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going to, at a later question, I'm going to ask you more about how you think the medium of the Internet affects mm-hmm. news in general. But... But I also, I want a little bit about you and your background, when, how you got here. I, I guess I'll go way back, but you were born in Detroit? I thought I read I that. Was. Yeah, yeah. Grandma number one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm Glastonbury uh, until I was four years old. And then I was raised in Midland. Yeah, I see you've been all over the place. You're in West Branch, Ferndale, Escoda, Holling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you moved ever. around quite a bit. <laughs> well, I've lived in Detroit and in Midland, but I'm a true Michigander and I've had uh, lake houses <laughs> in various places. And then I went to law school in Ann Arbor. I went to U of M. And but that was 
post, you went to Cornell, right? Yeah, I have uh, an undergrad and a master's in public administration from Cornell. I saw that was an MPA. I've my yeah. my one of my bachelors is in PA, yeah. but um, I used to be a city manager actually at one point. I thought you um, a city manager at one point. Ah, right, let's yeah. it's a, it's got a high turnover rate. Let me warn yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the so let's talk a little bit too about primarily sort of the two foundations you sort of work for, and you can put in plugs for both of them because I'm sure you still have great relations with both, but. Uh, I think you're at Hudson Weber first and then the Knight Foundation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my interests from the point that I decided to stay at Cornell and get my master's in public administration was really public policy. And then I spent uh, the very beginning of my career in state policy at the California court system. And so when I landed in Detroit and started doing policy, I had the incredible good fortune of meeting Dave Egner, who was then running the Hudson Weber Foundation. Um, and he uh, went, I went through a process, but he invited me to become a, a program officer for Hudson Weber. Uh, and I ended up working with him for five years, um, including when he was running the New Economy Initiative and I was vice president of programs for Hudson Weber. So it was my introduction to philanthropy. I never imagined I'd stay in it for over a decade. Um, <laughs> but Hudson Weber is exclusively dedicated to Detroit projects um, and is the Hudson's department store for people who have been around in Michigan long enough. Uh, it's that uh, family's legacy. Um, well, who's the Weber? Uh J.L. Hudson did not have sons to take over. He had, I think, nep- I think they were nephews. Uh, so oh. Richard Weber and his brothers were really the predecessors to Joe Hudson Jr., who was not actually the son of the original Joe Hudson, who uh, was really the leader uh, in Detroit for decades. He, he just oh, yeah. passed the last couple of years, but an incredible, incredible leader. He was on the board for years together with his brother, Gil, and great opportunity for me to work with great civic leaders uh, and members of the board. I did that for five years. um, And then I just really wanted sort of a wider lens. And I had the opportunity to join the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, which is a national foundation, but has eight cities in the U.S. where they have local program directors because they owned the Knight Brothers started Knight Newspapers, which became Knight Ritter Newspapers. And so any place that they owned uh, newspapers have extra investment from the National Foundation. And I ran the Detroit Giving for night um, for five or six years. And that's when I really got introduced to civic media, nonprofit civic media. Um, although I actually had already met John Bebo and Phil Power when they were starting the Center for Michigan. They came to Hudson Weber, uh, but we started to work more closely together and it all happened. So yeah, 11 years in philanthropy and I left in 2019 just needing a break from it. And did they own the Free Press or the News or did they own yeah, the JOA? I couldn't remember. They owned the Detroit Free Press. It preceded the Yeah. And um, the, uh, the Dan Edner, obviously still a very important guy in the region. Yeah. He, he testified in the my committee when he created the New Economy Initiative because yeah. it was pretty landmark, and I yeah. believe, and you might know this, but how many foundations? I think there were like four or five or maybe eight. Oh. I can't remember. Oh no, it started as ten, and I think 
in the end, it ended up having probably 12, 13 foundations, a mix of local and national, all. Uh, I think it was founded baby, basically about 2008, I want to say. Oh, and I know exactly. It's yeah, on it was- to some extent. But really with that recognition, uh, I'm sure you've talked about it on this podcast, of the overall economic picture, particularly for Southeast Michigan, which is where New Economy Initiative was working, needed to get a broader perspective on what the new economy was, not be solely reliant on autos. Um, And so that was the vision for what was at first, I think, a $50 million or $100 million fund that they built out. It grew over the years. They had multiple phases. Yeah, I think it was housed at the Southeast Michigan yep. Community uh, the, Foundation. Yep, it was. Yep. Yeah, yeah Mary Wallen was a leader of that. Yeah, I used to work with her, Mary. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, on that. And but you know, the the name of my committee, you probably don't remember, but it was called the New Economy and Quality of Life Committee. Yep, <laughs> and that's why we had him come in. But you got to remember too, this is the backdrop of the sun, almost the second worst crisis since the Depression in the United Marlo? States with the housing bubble and all that. And that's why I think it was created because it was sort of like the Phoenix, like the foundations had always done a lot of stuff, but they stayed in their lanes more. And I think this is a pretty creative solution to start opening up entrepreneurship and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a fascinating time at that time because everything was, everybody was looking for any way to succeed out of that mess. Yeah. Um, Yeah, go ahead. I just say, you know, the beauty for me about 11 years in philanthropy was that exposure to so many different leaders and ideas. And um, and so I got to learn so much more about what was happening in the city, the region and the state and set me up well to be able to then be part of, of the center in Bridge, Michigan, because I have tons of overlap now when the reporters are talking about various stories. I usually am like, oh, I know that person because we used to do something with them and uh, and even though I, I do not do any part of our reporting or editing, um, I enjoy engaging in the discussions and, and being able to talk to them about what's going on. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. So couple things and uh because we're medc i know you've got one reporter pretty dedicated to uh sort of economic development issues and and yeah why don't you just mention because i think that that's pretty important because economic development is a pretty complex topic period i've been doing it my whole career and it's kind of hard to explain to anybody what it means sometimes (laughs) but that's good you have a dedicated reporter doing it yeah, uh, Paula Gardner, who's a really experienced Michigan reporter, she's been at a number of newsrooms across the state, uh, joined us when we launched uh, Business Watch. We have uh, different dedicated newsletters and beats for a variety of topics, um, but we launched Business Watch right in 2020 when no other news was happening. Um, but she's did a great job of, of writing about uh, COVID's impacts on on business. So Paula is our dedicated business reporter and editor of Michigan Business Watch. And it means every single day she wakes up to pay attention to the issues that are happening in the state. She does uh, work closely with MEDC um, because she is uh, writing about the kinds of investments MEDC is making uh, regularly. Um, 
and, you know, applying the lens that a reporter applies. And so as I understand it, uh, we have a pretty good relationship with MEDC because she works to describe an investment, compare it to investments across the state in history, maybe compare it to what's happening in other states. She's going to report on where we focus on being nonpartisan and balanced. So she's going to report if a community has some criticism, uh, but she's also going to report why people are supporting it. And uh, each of our beat reporters becomes really uh, informed about the topic uh, as to the best they can, of course, and then really figures out who their sources are. Um, We're very proud that our reporters know Michigan um, and they work collectively, even though Paula is our business reporter. She is edited by our senior editor, David Zeman, a Pulitzer Prize winning editor who had a long career with the Detroit Free Press. Um, and then they all work in partnership. If it's a political story that somehow has a business lens, uh, Paula is going to be partnering with one of our three capital reporters. Yeah, that's one of the things that's nice about Bridge is you it almost embedded in almost every story. There's like three or four other stories, you know, that you can link on that are similar to that topic, but they might be off on little different tangents. Yeah, that's the I mean, that's the part I I find the news interesting. I think we're, all of us that have been in policy are news junkies. But um, the thing that I've liked is I've learned a whole new industry is um, it is a new industry and nonprofit news is different than for profit news in lots of ways uh, alike and others. And we have a team that thinks about once we get you to come and read that story that maybe you found out through our newsletter, but maybe you saw on Twitter or Facebook or through Google, how do we get you to see that we have other content and become a regular reader, trust us, understand who we are um, and come back and then in our in our best hopes, become a, a donor as well? Yeah. And, and I think that's sort of the transition, I guess, to the sort of digital age somewhat is that. Yeah. You, in some ways, people can be more in their silos, but in other way, it can be much more holistic, you know, with high hyperlinks and things like that, that it's, it's almost like going to a Wikipedia site sometimes and you start going down the rabbit hole like, oh, that's pretty interesting, you know, and and I think that's something you couldn't, you know, I love traditional newspapers, but it was also, you know, what was on the top of the fold and front page and, you know, editors still had to make those decisions. Now it's almost like you can find content for a lot of different topics, digital era, and I would guess. Yeah, you can. I think that the question that is real continues to come up and will come up for a long time is you can go down a digital black hole, right? You just follow links, you Google something. But there's a lot of efforts by a lot of people, good and bad actors, to get your attention. And so how do you know that you're at a trusted source? How do you know that you're at a source that's has journalistic ethical principles defining what you're reading. Uh, So we are nearing 12 years old. Bridge Bridge Detroit is nearing three years old. And part of our goal is to have more people understand that this this does apply journalistic standards to all of our reporting. So you can trust us. Uh, You can know that we're reporting for Michigan. We are nonpartisan. We reveal all of our funding sources and our funding sources have no influence on our editorial um, it's the trick of doing that kind of research online or, or listening to a podcast or, or finding something on Google. You still have to pay attention to your sources. Uh, and we're very intentional about our mission and our values being serving Michigan and not serving investors uh, and not serving any political interests. 
Yeah, in the old days, they would have said the wall was supposed to always exist what? between advertisers and content. But also, I think I always get nervous when I read stuff on my feed, like on my phone, if it's yeah. sponsored, That's you know, right. yeah. because then I'm like, oh, I wonder who's really paying for this. Uh, so you always wonder about those things. But you've already came into my uh, last few questions here for you. But any other future trends you see for your industry as you go forward? You know, for the industry, I would say part of what made me want to step into the role uh, at the center and and in leading these publications is that for-profit media is shrinking. And for-profit media, which has respected incredible journalists working for it, also is having to use more of that sponsored content, more content that is not civic news, is is you know, sports and entertainment, which is is valuable, but isn't what's driving our policy. Those models are going away. In a lot of local communities, there's nobody. Um, so I really believe nonprofit civic news is the future. That is the trend across the country. Uh, we have been around for 12 years and my job and as I take over for the founding CEO and as our new board chair takes over for the founding board chair, Phil Power, is to build this out so it's here for, for generations. I think everybody should be watching in their local community who is funding uh, their news. Uh, and if there's a nonprofit media partner in their local community, uh, to be sure to support it. Um, we've already talked about it, Ed, but I am concerned about people's silos of information and how do you make sure they're getting that broad perspective. Um, the only thing I'd add, you know, future um, uh, towards the future is really how much response we get to our climate change reporting. Uh, we have a incredible reporter, Kelly House, who just won Michigan Press Association's Reporter of the Year Award. Um, and she does all of our environmental coverage. Anytime she writes about climate change, we get such a response. Uh, Michiganders, I think, are rightly concerned about what's happening to our environment as a result of climate change. Um, and and also, speaking to uh, the name of your podcast, the opportunity Michigan might have, uh, given that other places may see even more extremes from climate change. So we're paying attention to that and, and investing in our environmental reporting beat because we know how important it is. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting when we had uh, Neil Hawkins on way yeah. back, yeah, and he, you know, talked about how it's almost ingrained in the private sector now for the ESG, you know, that, you know, how, how you attract talent is people who are sort of like millennials and Gen Z, that's what they are looking for to get a job, right? They don't want to go to a company that doesn't have sort of their view on the holistic world somewhat. But uh, it's a changing world. It's it's very interesting. Um, so the last couple of questions for you, and this is one where you can talk to the young Katie at uh, Midland High School. I don't know if you went to Dow or to. Oh, I went to Midland, Midland High. High. I was a chemist. Midland High. Okay, good. Oh, good. I, I know there's always a big fight between the two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, what would you tell yourself? Because your career, I mean, you probably had really good grades. You got into Cornell. So. Maybe your path wasn't like mine, for sure. So uh, what, what would you tell yourself now at 17 or someone today what they should go into? Uh, you know, what I try to tell anybody that, that young 
folks that come and talk to me is I sure didn't know what I was going to do. Um, you know, 17 year old Katie would never have said, oh, 11 years in philanthropy and then you're going to run a nonprofit news organization. Um, but what I do know is that from that moment when I realized I was interested in policy, um, I focused on getting the skills um, uh, so I got my MPA and then I got a job in, in, in pu- public policy out in, in California. Um, and then I got a law degree because I could see the value of it. So I just kept building the skills and being open to opportunity. What, what felt like the right thing to do. And I followed my gut quite a bit. Um, and had I, had I written a plan and been really rigid about it, there's so many opportunities I never would have had. Um, so I just, I feel like once you have that skill set and once you know what your passions are, you have to be a little bit flexible about what's possible. Yeah. I always like to think of myself as a compass heading I didn't know existed. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I was pretty sketchy in a lot of my jobs. Um, the uh, last thing is uh, you've lived all around the state and you've come back. You lived in beautiful California for a while. But uh, what do you like best about the state? Um, I mean, I think leaving is one of the things that allows you to appreciate it. And twice I moved to California and twice moved back. Um, Ultimately, I know I'm a Midwesterner. Um, There's just a style and a a friendliness. I I happen to live uh, right uh, next to downtown Detroit. um, And I love that when I go out for a walk on the Dequinder Cut, uh, my neighbors and strangers say hello to me, say good morning, you know, wish me a good day. And I go to cities on the coast and I don't have that experience. I also, I love cities. I've lived in Detroit now for almost 20 years. Um, but I like the that Michigan has this great urban experience and I can get arts and culture and I'm going to the Tigers game on, on Friday night. And then I can drive not very far and have some nice lake life and uh, and experience that too. So I, I'm a true lover of Michigan. Well, it's a uh, great state. I agree with you. And I want to thank again our guest, Katie Locker. She's the Chief Executive Officer for the Center for Michigan, Bridge Michigan and Bridge Detroit. And thanks again, Katie, for all the good work you guys do. And keep it up. And thanks for doing the podcast today. Thanks, Ed. Join us next week where our guest will be Herb Drayton. He's the executive director at Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses here in Detroit. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.